Happy April 12th, Tuesday. Hope everyone had a great weekend and skated through easy on a Monday. Uh, today is our playoff preview. We're going to discuss uh, some NBA basketball, uh, the NBA, you know, drama with the Lakers, Frank Vogel, the cream stuff. I'll uh, go over some MVP predictions, hear me ramble in my thoughts. You guys get to see how my mind works. Um want to make some corrections. I recorded this yesterday, April uh, 11th, not the 10th, and finished up this morning uh, in the wee hours of the morning uh, as I'm recording this uh, intro this afternoon, just to go over some corrections. You know, doing these uh, edits, whether you're doing YouTube or a podcast, it takes a little bit of time. Then you got to sit up here and hear yourself talk for hours upon hours, and it's a little annoying hearing yourself talk. Uh, Made some mistake. Outliers. Outliers. I know how to say that word. It was late. I'm tired. Forgive me. Outliers. There are some outliers. I don't know what the fuck I was saying earlier. Also, the Hawks, I said, almost made it to the playoffs. I meant to say they almost made it to the finals last year, losing the six to Milwaukee. Were you internet correction freaks? I gotcha. Um, Also, Brooklyn will have to see the Hornets in the second game, I believe. So they, I picked Brooklyn over the Hornets, which would be a tough matchup for Brooklyn because I got them losing the initial game. And I think the Hawks and Hornets play tonight. I picked the Hawks to beat the Hornets. So therefore, Brooklyn would play the Hornets. And uh, I'm going to take Brooklyn barely. Uh, just want to make that correction. And my last correction is... I meant to say Anthony Mason, the correction is Charles Oakley, not Charles Barkley, Charles Oakley. And I got one more correction. Hold on, hold on. I got one more correction. I should have had this up, man. I'm working, trying to do all this stuff. Um, Pull up these teams. Um, I had NBA... New standing. Let me go to teams. I believe he plays for Miami now. Pull up that roster. P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker has a skill set of shooting the three from the corner and playing defense. That's his skill set. May I add that if Brooklyn sees Miami in that first round, that, you know, P.J. Tucker is going to be a huge uh, person to watch out for in that series because, you know, he does a great job of making Durant earn a tough 50, whatever that means. It's a little sarcasm, but, you know, you, you know, just Durant's not just coming in there just thinking it's going to be an easy 50. He's earning every shot. Um Tucker's getting a little longer in the tooth, but I meant to say PJ Tucker. So sit back, enjoy this, and uh, I'm going to try to holler at y'all later this week. Peace.
Wojnarowski tweeted that um, the Lakers are going to be firing you, a decision they'll let you know tomorrow. Have you communicated with the front office at all about your future? And I guess what's your reaction to, to hearing that? Uh, my, my reaction is uh, I haven't been told and I'm going to enjoy tonight's game, celebrate what these young guys did in terms of uh, scratching, scratching the claw and getting, getting back in this game, getting a W. And, uh, you know, we'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, did, did that get back to you before you walked in this room? Yes. Did that affect? I'm going to enjoy tonight's game and what our guys did tonight and the way we finished out this season. Proud of our guys tonight. And here are the reports they were talking about. Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted out literally a second after the Lakers' first Nuggets game finished, saying Frank Vogel has coached his final game for the Lakers, a decision that expected to be shared with him as soon as Monday. So tomorrow, sources tell ESPN, Lakers search expected to be lengthy and expansive with no clear initial front runner. And as we all know, Vogel led the Lakers to the 2020 NBA Championship and will be a candidate again in leagues future head coaching cycles. And let me know in the comment section what's What up though? It's your boy Ayo. Welcome to For the Culture Podcast. Today is April 10th. I think it's April 10th. April 10th, a Monday, get this podcast started here, one second, it's been a minute, but let's get right to it, Uh, just want to go over some basketball stuff with you guys real quick, Um, you know, it's just in life. What I've learned, uh, just going through everything through the pandemic, you get time to sit down and just think about certain things. And what I've been able to really understand in my life that I've lived over over 40 years is don't chase the money. The money will find you. The money will chase you. It's important to have money. It's important to be able to get or maximize the most you can make for your talents. No question. But there's a balance there. And what you want to do in life is you want to go to companies that are competent. See, you look at the teams like a Detroit Lions. That's not a competent organization. Not saying they're not competent people that work there. For a long time, the Los Angeles Clippers were not a very competent organization. They had a owner that was a bigot, and he didn't care about his fan base. He was the, the Clippers were the laughing stock based based upon the owner and the competency level of them. They had nothing. They were they weren't even little brothers to the Lakers. They were like little step brothers or a little adopted brothers, you know what I mean? For a lack of better term. And then Jerry West and Steve Ballman uh, became the uh, owner of the Clippers and they hired Jerry West and they got Ty Lue in there and they got some competency and they were able to acquire Kawhi and Paul George. 
and then they were able to, you know, get some pieces and have a very well ran organization. They haven't won a title, but they're competent. Golden State Warriors, very competent. You know, the way they run it, the way they develop their their team. Wiggins looks so much better, you know. They they have pool and all of this talent, Jordan Pool that is, that they develop along with Stephen Curry and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. These weren't necessarily draft hits, but they were competent picks. And it takes some luck. And then you got the Dallas Cowboys. As of late, not very competent. They're not the Detroit Lions, but not competent. You have to look at these uh, organizations and say, where would I want to go that I have the best place to develop my skill set and perhaps make a staple like Woods did for the Los Angeles Rams. These guys win a chip, they get healthy, and they can go elsewhere and make money because they have a track record of being with winners. The Los Angeles Lakers in the last 10 years haven't been competent. See, the Los Angeles Lakers, they're just the best real estate in the neighborhood. They got front ocean property palm trees, great weather. They can attract all the stars. All the girls want to come see the Lakers. So they can get Shaq to come there. See, when Jerry Buss was running the organization, the late, great Jerry Buss, you know, they drafted Magic. They acquired Akeem, excuse me, Kareem. They were able to draft James Worthy and get a Byron Scott and tag along Michael Cooper and Michael Thompson, a Kurt Rambis, who was a smart player, get Pat Riles, the godfather, to come there. That was competency. And Magic was a great part of it. He was the driver. Kareem was the engine. Worthy was the tires. And Pat Riley was the driver. The engineer was Jerry Buss. See, great owner, great management, great coach, great leaders on your team. Got to have talent. The Los Angeles Lakers, since their father passed, have not been a very good organization. Since the late, great Jelly Bring Mamba Bryant passed away, or since he retired, the Lakers haven't been very good. Oh, you say, well, Io, they won a bubble. They won a title a couple of years ago in a bubble. Four months off. Yeah, they have sucked since LeBron James has arrived in Los Angeles. LeBron has to take some responsibility. I'm going to say a third of responsibility for putting this roster together. Injuries aside. The GM, Polinka, 
has to take a third of this blame. And Coach Vogel has to take a third. It's not really Vogel's fault, but he's the head coach. So by default, he has to go. But to show you how the competency of the Lakers is, they're like, just not very, they're like the pretty girl who doesn't know how to pick a good guy. So she'll just dump the guy that won them a ring. And doesn't even know how to fire Coach Vogel correctly. So how can they hire a good coach? They didn't know how to fire the one that, the good coach they had. He had to fucking find out during a press conference from a reporter. Woj reports you're going to get fired. I mean, he knew he wasn't, he had to know. I'm sure he's not naive that he probably wouldn't be coaching for them. But to be fired before they can look you eye to eye and say, hey, you know, before you go out to that press conference or just keep it in house until the press conference is over and let Vogel enjoy his victory after having a long season with them young boys that played their ass off for that guy. He can coach. He won you a title. Who are you going to replace him with? And how in the hell does he find out he gets fired? We knew he was fired before he knew he was fired because Woj had reported it, what we call Woj bomb. Like, what, what the hell? Totally unprofessional. Lack of competency. You let LeBron James decide over... Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry, Lowry, excuse me, Kyle Lowry. And other guys that wanted to come to LA, like who, who am I missing here? Let me get these names correct. So we had Kyle Lowry, homie from the Bulls. Let me see here on the ESPN app, NBA, so Chicago roster, DeMar DeRozan. He wanted to be a part of the Lakers. But you know, you had to have Westbrook, who James Harden considered him his boy, Durant considered him his boy, and neither of them could play with him. And then you get Westbrook there, and we want to put the blame on Westbrook. I mean, Westbrook... He's Westbrook. Max Kellerman once said, if Westbrook had a jump shot, he'd be the best player in the NBA. I totally agree with that take. But Westbrook's IQ and EQ sometimes 
is not spot on at the points in the game. Three quarters, three and a half quarters, he's pretty good. But it seems like lately he's gotten rusty. He's a little sloppy with the ball. He's turnover prone because the league has changed. And he's gotten a little bit older, although still a very good player. The league has changed, and you're able to play off of him. And he's not been able to quite figure out his spots with the Lakers. So he only knows one way. Now, I think if Westbrook was to go to a team like Miami, I think Spolstra would get him right. I think if he was to go to New York, I think he'd be a great fit for those guys. That's exactly what they're missing. I think if he was playing in Phoenix, they could, Chris Paul would figure out how to use him. Not only figure out how to use him, demand Westbrook play a certain way. Now, I heard for years, LeBron makes his teammates better, which is true earlier in his career. But in, the, but in the last seven years or so, you can argue that perhaps his teammates just adjust to playing to him. LeBron is too ball dominant. The greatest of season he's playing, he's just too ball dominant. He needs to come off the ball sometimes and actually play the three and four positions. Anthony Davis doesn't like to play center, but I'm like, Anthony, they're, who's the real Embiid? Djokovic? The Joker? Who's a real center? You're not going against Patrick Ewing. You're not going against uh, David Robinson or Akeem. Or it's not even Mike Jeminski down there. Like most of these centers would be undersized in the 80s and from the 60s all the way up until about the last 15 years would be undersized. Now we have more centers who are skilled. Draymond Green can't guard you. You can pull and beat out from the basket and go by him. You have an advantage there. Difficult matchup for you on the other end. But back to LeBron, he's, he's too good of a player. One of the best players to ever play this game, not to understand that he needs to come off that basketball. Because every time the Lakers play without LeBron, although they didn't have success winning, they did look better at times without him on the court. Because it seems to be the offense was more fluid Everyone was touching it, but LeBron comes down, dribble, 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 and then he'll pass it off. And yeah, guys are getting touches, but they're not like the Warriors when they pass. Swing, 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 swing. Phoenix, swing, swing, swing. Even Milwaukee is swinging it. And Miami's swinging the ball. So everybody, sometimes you just got to touch the ball. And just touching the ball and making a good pass off a cut and a layup here and there. It makes you want to come back down and slap the floor like Duke and, and Cameron Indoor. But what happens is LeBron is too ball 
centric, and then Westbrook is two ball centric. So they're like black holes. Although LeBron is one of the best passers of the basketball in the NBA, he's not Chris Paul. I watched yesterday, Durant was passing the ball beautifully in the offensive sets. I think LeBron runs the offense too much. And I think getting him off the ball would be better for him long term. And I mean, in the last six minutes or so in the game, I would prefer the ball in his hands, but not for the whole duration of the game. So LeBron's the point guard of this team. So if he was the quarterback, which the point guard is, that blame would go to your point guard. But we scapegoated Westbrook because LeBron. LeBron may be the billy goat, but he's scapegoating Westbrook. And yes, Westbrook deserves the blame. But it's not his fault. It's not Vogel's fault. And it's not LeBron's fault in terms of when he's on the basketball court entirely. He is playing well, but I don't think he's doing a good job of being able to get this team to galvanize around him. You know, his patience is short. He knows he can't win with this team. He knew it out of training camp. I think they 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 lost every game in the preseason. LeBron's smart. He knew his team couldn't do it. Anthony Davis, he's not soft in terms of like you can walk up on him and just think you're going to do whatever you want to him on the streets. But on the basketball court, he's soft in terms of brittle. So like if Anthony Davis is not available and the best ability is availability. And LeBron, he's getting flukish injuries now ankle injury here, knee soreness, which is mileage. He can't give you 82 games anymore or 90% of the season, nor can LeBron give you everything on defense like he used to. LeBron can't, would have carried this Lakers team to a sixth seed at least 10 years ago. LeBron in Miami who's the best version, and who I think is probably that version of LeBron, just taking every player that ever played the game and taking their peak primes, Jordan, LeBron, that's it. Or maybe and Kobe in his prime. I don't care who else you want to – I mean, I didn't see Wilt play, so I can't not say Wilt. Or Jerry West, those guys are great. But just in modern day basketball, from from what I've been able to see, just take all the top players that I've seen in their prime prime. And you got LeBron, Jordan, Grant Hill, Penny, Dwayne Wade, Kobe, Giannis, Durant, those guys. LeBron's going to be right there in that list, one or two next to Jordan. Prime for prime. You know, the argument for Jordan is, you know, he had more prime years at an elite level, I think, than LeBron has had for 19 years. But LeBron is great. You know, comparing great to great, someone's going to get diminished and you try not to do that. Jordan is is just hard to compare Jordan's resume. Jordan's resume is flawless. 
But LeBron, as I went on this tangent, he's smart. He knows this is not a good team. But he picked Westbrook. And Vogel being the fall guy, I think they should have kept Vogel as the coach. If they're able to get Mark Jackson, I'm all for it. Um, Dan, oh, Is it Dan Quinn out of Utah? That's not a bad choice neither. Um, Juwan, my brother, Juwan Howard. I don't think, I, I hate to see him leave Michigan, but I think he should take the Laker job. Because we know he'll get in LeBron's face. And we know you'll slap the shit out of somebody. start thinking about the roster and what it could look like and, and how we could um, obviously um, have a roster that brings in more wins. I mean, that's the, that's the most important thing. That's the job that we in. So um, I'm sorry to think about it a little bit, but, you know, um, it's not, you know, solely on me, obviously. Um, but we definitely want to be better. We want to be better coming into next year. That's the most important thing for the summer. And just to follow up position-wise, you know, you played some more center this year. Uh, you played point guard. Like, is, just for you, is there, a, is there an optimal there? Is it, is it being able to go back and forth in different positions depending on who's on the roster? Uh, it doesn't matter for me personally. You know, my my uh, you know my personal um, goal is to be able to play any position on the floor. You know, and uh, every game is different. You know, matchups is different at times. So to be able to have the availability to our team that I could switch off and play center for minutes or play point guard for minutes or play the wing spot uh, for minutes uh, according to what the game really dictates or needs, uh, you know, that, that's for me to uh, make sure that I'm equipped, um, I'm in the best possible shape I can be in to uh, help us win ball games. LeBron, in February, you told us you see yourself being with this franchise and you're here and this summer you're going to be up uh, eligible for a contract extension. Uh, do you intend to extend with the Lakers this summer uh, and what, what are the, the determining factors that will go into that decision-making process? Uh, well, the conversation uh, hasn't been talked about or technically because of collective bargaining agreement cannot even be discussed um, until later on in the year. So, um, you know, I, I know it's out there, but we can't even, myself and Rich can't even begin to talk with Rob or the front office at all because of uh, the collective bargaining agreement. So we get to that point, uh, we will see. Yeah. Um, LeBron, what did you envision the, um, what, what, what did you expect from the Russ partnership that did not materialize, um, obviously inclusive of health? But then also, do you feel like that is something that you guys can do again? Like, can, can you, Russ and LeBron, be, be the centerpiece of this team next year and be a championship contender? Um, I don't put any expectations on, on anything. I mean, it's all about coming in, putting in the work, and, um, and, and, and go from there. I mean, uh, you know, one thing about Russ that I love and, and will always love is, you know, just his competitive spirit, what he brings to the game every single night. And when you're in a profession where so many injuries happen and so many things go on, and to have a guy that's reliable and can put on a uniform every single night, um, that's something I respect um, out of 
you know, out of everything. And, and um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and make decisions for the front office and things of that nature, but you know, I love being a teammate with Russ. And, you know, that's just the way it is. My thoughts on uh, Kareem's comments against LeBron in terms of how LeBron acts off the court. Um, I haven't been a big fan of Kareem lately. I can see now how they say Kareem was aloof and the media didn't like him. I can understand that there was, you know, he didn't look at magic um, as a very intellectual, even though we all know magic is smart as hell. Uh, he might not always articulate it that way, but he knows he's a hell of a businessman. And Kareem just comes off as an arrogant fuck to me. But I do uh, appreciate Kareem, his activism during his time, the Bruce Lee movies, him being one of the top players of all time. I do like Kareem. I'm just being critical in the flaws of him, I think, as a man, not his character so much, so to speak. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. But to question LeBron as an activist when he's within a few hundred points or a few thousand points of breaking your record when you weren't even asked about LeBron is jealousy and hate. I mean, we can get on LeBron for always being on page one of a book as a meme. We can get on LeBron for clearly not reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and clearly just looking like a person who didn't know what the hell they were talking about. LeBron's not perfect, but he's fucking pretty close. The flyest dude in the league, best dressed dude in the league, smartest dude in the league off the court. He makes all the right moves. He did not fuck up his bag when he came to the league. He got married. He's married to a beautiful sister. You know, never seen any allegations with him on and off the court. And just in terms of just being a man, not talking about the basketball stuff, just being a man. You know, who who's the best dressed athletes of all time? Uh, Clyde Frazier, Clyde Frazier, Michael Jordan, Julius, Dr. Irving, Kobe, and LeBron. That's it. That's the list. Argue that he's probably the flyest, you know, the styles changed over the years. He's probably one of the flyest dress dudes. I love the way the brother dressed. He don't hit a home run every time. No one does, but for the most part, LeBron is fly. He's smart as hell, too, off the court. You know, that's why we get a little frustrated with the brother when he misses the things on tweeting things he probably shouldn't tweet, even though he's trying to be a, an activist. But if you read any, uh, oh, man, I wish I could come back and tell you the book. You guys to go check out. Let me see if I can find where's that book at. Um, LeBron, good boy. Let me see if I can find book. Where's the book? What book? 
Try to see if I can find it for you guys. On LeBron. What's the name of that book? LeBron Inc. by Brian Winhorse. Uh, shout out to my guy Rock put me on that. Um, that's a book that I would suggest everyone at least listen to on audio. And, you know, it will give you some... He's no different than Kobe. He's no different than Mike or Magic or Isaiah Thomas. You know, his will and desire to win. He, You know, some, he doesn't have the same motor maybe as a Jordan does. But um, it, it lets you know where he is as a businessman. And everything he does is a business decision for him. The way he leans politically is all business. And that book, and I'll give you a, a cliff note from it. That he was tired. He he was grown tired of the activism that's wearing on him. He's more. He wants to focus more on being a business person. And I believe that he's definitely with the shit and the good spirit of it. But it does affect his overall branding. You know, like Jordan says, Republicans buy shoes too, right? You know, and you know, I always say, hey, you know, you know. I hate, you know, I get that, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you can not like that and be, hate all that, but when it comes down to business, you, you trying to make, maximize the dollars you can. And he missed on the, um, the China situation, you know, and we understand that he got put in a bad spot with that. He should have just said no comment, you know, as a, as a Pan-Africanist, you have to be responsible for black people everywhere. But that's a hard thing for him to do to 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 side against Nike, who's in who's who who's in business with China or who's in bed with China. And then, you know, tell him to speak for those those injustices over there against people that look like us, you and I, him or just people in general. Um, And, you know, you, you know, when you're when you're and. When you're in the woke space, you got to be careful because you're going to contradict yourself. So I always would tell anyone who's woke, just like give yourself a little space. Don't, 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 uh, don't die on the hill too hard on everything because you're going to eventually come up against your own contradictions. You know what I mean? Being super woke and, and, and in this era, for me, what woke is, is being red pilled and understanding what life is all about. Not just from a black perspective, knowing your history from systemic racism, not just from, you know, always siding with somebody just because you get the tokenism, but understanding what the situation actually actuality is and where things land, you know, and understanding there's business that is sometimes is a gray area between is this racist or is this just business or both or you can just be indifferent about it but everything can't just be painted with a broad paintbrush of racism you know what i mean because you're going to get yourself caught in a contradiction at times and i have learned this as i've gone through my woke period 
and evolved to being more of a red pill person. And uh, yes, I, you know, I'm very pro women, but I'm also very pro men as well. I believe in equality, but uh, no matter what your culture or uh, your race is. And I think LeBron James with the China situation just had a bad moment. That was his, oh, Chinese people buy shoes too moment. And, uh, well, that's that's not to say that. China buys shoes too. And I get it. Yeah, I felt I feel for the, the, the injustices for the folks in China that uh, were people of color, black people, Muslims, and things like that. You know, I'm, I support that, but I also am woke enough as well to say I can see where LeBron was in terms of where his money was being spent, his money and how he's paid. And he came against that fork in the road, and I get it. I'm not going to hold that against him, Kareem. So I guess Kareem was speaking to he didn't know where he stood on. I think that's in part of that. But then also the COVID when LeBron did the Spider-Man thing, and I think Skip and Shannon hit the nail on the head on that topic, just in terms of, like, we got to a place in this country, and I just hung up with one of my homegirls, we got to a place in this country where we had COVID fatigue. And first it was, we were wiping down groceries before they came in the house. I seen, remember people had space suits on and everything. I remember, uh, you know, uh, double, triple mask. And then the vaccines were coming. Full disclosure, I'm not vaccinated because of my multiple sclerosis. But I will, even if I didn't have MS, I, don't, I wouldn't have got vaccinated um, because of my own opinions about it. I think the vaccines are great. I'm glad they're here. I do believe in the science. And uh, I believe uh, that uh, most people should be vaccinated. But it's a personal choice. But with LeBron, he was in a situation where he had a false positive. And he didn't know, did he have a cold? Was it the flu? Is it COVID? You know? And the meme was just like how everyone felt at that time. I had COVID twice. I had it in March in in New York, where I had to sit in a hotel for Tribeca for three weeks. And then December, leaving the party with my homeboy, Karan, we went in there and took tests and we were negative and we were excited. We had been on lockdown. This is just before Christmas and my whole family ended up getting it. And I was fatigued. I, I was down and out. That's why I haven't been doing podcasts. And, and that's was LeBron's like, what's going on? And Kyrie can go to a game and go in the locker room and see his teammates, but he can't play on the court. It's just like everything was confusing and Oh, uh, the vaccines don't stop you from spreading it. You still can get COVID. And that's what you're questioning him on, uh, Kareem? See, that's not the Kareem that we knew or I've understood, understood to know about in the 60s and 70s is activism. I think when I've talked to older Black men, as they've gotten older, um, 
they sometimes have getting they lose they're out of touch you know and they they grow out of themselves because they're older right and you just get tired when you're older right you know you look at our current presidents last two they just look like out of touch people right Barack Obama was youthful, whether you agree with his politics or not, but he seemed to be a little bit more in touch, at least a little more knowing what was going on in the grand scheme of most things, not everything, but most things, right? So I think Kareem's just a little out of touch. So to call out LeBron James on where he stands, do you mean he didn't sound like a liberal Democrat to you? Is that what you mean? Because he didn't walk the party line on the COVID and he didn't, he waited to the last minute to get the vaccine because he didn't want to do it himself. But to whom much is given, much is suspected. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. That's why they call him Billy Goat because he's about his dollars and he's about to be a billionaire. That's King James, but Kareem. It just sounds like at the end of the day, you never, no one never thought anyone would break your record. But guess what? KD might catch LeBron. And with guys taking better nutrition, better care of themselves, it's going to happen. Guys are going to be playing longer. It doesn't mean they're better than you. In fact, LeBron's more like you and Will Chamberlain than he is of like Michael Jordan, Kareem, Russell, or Magic. Even though he, he he's a combination of Magic and Jordan to me as a player. But for you to criticize him, I don't know, Kareem. Uh, you know, you, you're wrong for that one, bro. And, you know, he part of the Laker family. He brought y'all a chip. LeBron is a Laker. And he's trying to, you know, walk the Laker talking cold line. Shout out to LeBron James. I got nothing but respect for the brother. Don't always agree with him on sometimes on some political stuff, but you know, he, he lands always in the right place, you know, for me, even when I disagree, I understand where he's trying to come from. So shout out to him. Salute to Kareem. Kareem, um, you know, you know, you know, shake that man's hand and give him his respect because we respect the the hell out of you, Kareem. You the GOAT. Yeah. Um, so you're holding the autobiography of Malcolm X along with Alex Haley. I don't know how far you are into the book, but what's your biggest takeaway so far? Um, I kind of just started a couple of days ago. Um, but um, I've read and a lot of a lot of notes over the years. Um, it's my first time actually reading it from start to finish. Um, but just a very, um, very smart man. Very, very, very smart man. And basically, um, his words in the, in the 60s and, uh, and what was going on is actually what's going on today, still. Him understanding the, um, how powerful um, the Negro can be. He used that word a lot. How powerful we are. Um, but we have to unite. Uh, we have to be together, we have to stand strong because there's always going to be obstacles, there's always going to be um, you know, things that's going to be thrown at us where they try to weaken us, um, they try to fill up, make us feel like we're not kings and queens. Um, 
and it's gonna come from all you know different races and different shapes and sizes and things of that nature. Um, and um, just a very powerful-minded uh, gentleman. And, um, and it's, it's unbelievable to, to kind of read something that's coming directly from him. Um, I just hate, um, wish I had an opportunity to meet him. Honestly, we know what, what, what the situation that happened along, not only him, but Dr. Martin Luther King, some of the greats that's ever walked this uh, face of the earth, not only just here in America, but in uh, his face of the earth. So uh, it's a pretty, pretty interesting book so far. Special shout out to our brother Tiger Woods for going out there and competing today. Well, not today, this past weekend at the Masters, he was able to complete the full rounds for that man to have lost, almost lost his life and almost lost his leg. He won this weekend to me. And everything that's attributed to golf from the way that golfers dress now, they, they fly out there, man. Them golfers be, them young boys be out there fly as hell. You know, back in the day, you had like Greg Norman and uh, the Shark. And, you know, you had the, the old, old school guys who were out there. And they was nice, but everybody pretty much had the same style where Tiger kind of, with Nike was able to, you know, be a little bit more slicker and the guys after him became a little bit more fancy. And these guys now looking like, you know, athletes looking like baseball players and soccer players and boxers. These guys are ripped, you know, in shape. Tiger changed that, you know, that you now is athletes out there. Because Tiger, when he was competing, he was competing against great golfers, who may not be that much of an athlete. And Tiger was a great golfer who was an athlete. He changed the game. So now the golfers are now athletes. Not all, but quite a few. And they take good bet. They, you know, they have trainers and they take care of better care of themselves. The equipment's better. They're more, they, they're from the tee. They're more rangy. They're hitting the ball longer, you know, but Tiger's short game, it's one of the best ever. Um, you know, I got the chance to watch it while I was working, and I appreciate greatness. And I, that was greatness. That it was one of his best uh, um, tournaments I ever seen him play. To be honest, and I've been watching Tiger since I was like sixteen. I'm, I'm in my forties now, and he uh, he's a uh, this is the best I've seen him play under the circumstances just to be able to compete. And he made the cut. 
I'm like Brooke, Brooke Kepta and uh, who uh, who else did make Jordan Spieth? They didn't make the cut. You know, he didn't finish strong because I think he labored. His leg was hurting. I think that's probably his, you know, first time in competition is totally different than practicing even hard in practice. And you can practice pretty hard in practice, but it does not um, measure up to game speed um, and intensity. But just to go out there and compete, and if he if he's able to, you know, get his leg fifty percent, sixty five percent, hope maybe even seventy five percent of what it used to be. And he's 46. He'll be 47 at the end of this year, uh, December 31st, same birthday as LeBron. Um, you know, I think he's got one to three majors left in him. He's got about 36 months to do it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he won one. I'd be shocked if he won three, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and uh, I would just appreciate Tiger uh, and guys like LeBron, man, I miss Kobe. Didn't get a chance to really appreciate him because I was such a Detroit Pistons fan and I'm not a Lakers fan. I can never root for the Lakers. I can never root for Boston Celtics. I did root for them because I wanted KD to win the, uh, KG to win the title and I can't root for the Chicago Bulls. And even though I was rooting for them in the Jordan years, uh, but when Jordan retired, I was back at not, not supporting the Chicago Bulls. But, you know, those, you know, I just can't support those teams because of the Detroit rivalry we had with those teams. Um, you know, so I um, appreciate the greatness when I see it, the Floyd Mayweathers and watching the Muhammad Ali tapes back in the day, knowing I, I didn't see this live, you know. Tom Brady's, you know, what I got to see Matthew Stafford do, the ups and downs of trying to be a winner and what it takes. And it'd be a valuable lesson to everyone to understand that there's a lot of peaks and valleys in trying to maintain winning and, and, and trying to retain it after you lost it and then to capture it again. And that's the beauty of sports. That's the beauty of life. And I really appreciate Tiger Woods for going out there and, and supporting his fellow golfers. And I support, I really appreciate the fans for giving him his flowers and giving him a standing ovation because they were just happy to see him there. And it was a fabulous moment for all those people. And I know they appreciate it. So salute to Tiger Woods. Last year, I was making this whole campaign for Chris Paul as the MVP. After my boy Beef, uh, you know, uh, talked to me, you know, I realized after taking my emotion out of it that the Joker was the correct pick. Um, I would have given it to MVP, the MVP to Chris Paul, but, you know, I, I mean, watching the Joker play this year and watching him play for the last three years, he's one of the best players in the game. He's greatness. I really appreciate watching him this year. And I think he's having a much better season this year than he did last year. With that being said, I think 
that the MVP based on the era that I was birthed into. Now, people like like to call us middle-aged guys, say, back in y'all era. And my era is still going on. Your era is always going to be from what you see to, to the time you die. All of this is my era. So back when I was first watching basketball in the early 90s and the mid to late 80s and so forth, uh, the criteria generally went to the best player who was most valuable to his team in winning. That generally went to Larry Bird. Well, let me pull up the MVPs. I, I can probably do it off uh, the top of my dome, but the MVPs, uh, let me see, NBA MVPs. By year. So Magic, Kareem, Bird, Jordan, Carl Malone, um, Charles Barkley, David Robinson, I believe. So let's see what we got. Oh boy. Blow this up here. So let's just start from 1980. Kareem was the MVP. Is this the MVP of the league? Make sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Nothing. So um, Kareem, the Lakers were pretty good at that time. Um, think they might have won a championship that year. Julius the Dr. Irving. He was the MVP. They were pretty good. Moses Malone. He was pretty good. And it's Larry Bird. Goats. These are all goats here. MVP. Magic Johnson. Goat. All these guys are champions. Julius. One NBA championship. A couple in the... Um, in the ABA, Kareem, uh, I believe he's a six-time champion. Larry Bird, three-time champion. Magic, five times. Jordan in 88. Um, you know, he was coming, you know. Necessarily wasn't the best team. But, you know, the narrative, you know, Magic, Larry, you know, for most of the 80s, from 84 to 88, uh, Magic was yeah, Magic was still winning. He won one in eighty nine. Magic won one in ninety. Wow, Magic was the man. Uh, and those were the best teams. Uh, you know, Bird won the title in eighty six. Magic won in eighty seven. Um, Jordan lost to the runner up in eighty eight. Magic in eighty nine. Lost in the finals. 90, he think he came up short against Portland that year. Michael Jordan won the, 91 won the title. 92 won the title. Charles Barkley went to the finals, lost to Michael Jordan. Hakeem in 94, I believe Jordan had retired. He won the title that year. David Robinson, um... He did not. I don't know where they were at or what their record is. Forgive me, guys. Um, but I know the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs, the Pop has been doing his thing. Maybe Bob Hill was the coach at the time. I think it was Popovich. Carl Malone went to the finals in 97. 
Jordan 98, 99, Carmelo had just been in the finals the year before. Shaquille O'Neal, Allen Iverson made it to the finals. Tim Duncan, he went to the finals. He won a couple of champ. He won a few championships. KG, 2004, he won some titles. Now, Steve Nash is where it gets tricky. It's where it gets tricky. Kevin Garnett was the best player in the in the year in that league that year. Um, he was, you know, Minnesota wasn't the best team in the NBA. But sometimes you just, that year, you know, when guys have, like the Shaq had won and Tim Duncan had won and Allen Iverson had won it. So you, you try to be, you know, give it to guys who are deserving. You do understand that. But when Steve Nash won it, his, it was an eye test award. Some people believe it was Kobe. Some people believe it was AI. Some people believe it was Shaq. But you know, that's where it got a little tricky. Dallas, Dirt won it, but he won a title a few years later. Kobe finally got one. He won a, he won five titles. Dirt won one. KG won one, but Steve Nash never won a title. Of all these guys, David Robinson got one. Charles Barkley did not get one, but he got two in the finals. Lost to a GOAT. Steve Nash did not get to any finals. All those I will argue that the Phoenix Suns birthed with Michael Dan Tony style. What we see today is basketball. I will argue that the Pistons birthed that with Bill Lambeer being a stretch center and then having, um, they weren't wings, but like Aguirre was a wing. Dumars, Vinny, and Isaiah, they were, you know, the prototypical guard that could stand out to the three-point line and also can penetrate and kick. So, you know, the Phoenix Suns were kind of the version of basketball that we're seeing today. Not a lot of, I mean, they shot a lot of three-pointers at that time, but I digress. Steve Nash is where it gets tricky because a lot of people felt like Kobe should have got one of those MVPs, but Kobe didn't have the best team that year, and he lost to Steve Nash. So probably Steve Nash is deserving of one. I don't know two. Um, I hate the race in it, but Bird won three in a row, and then Steve Nash, but Duncan won two in a row. Jordan kind of got robbed here. He's the one that seems to have gotten robbed the most. Uh, he should probably have seven MVPs, but it just doesn't work like that. Um... LeBron, he's got four titles. Now, Derrick Rose, he was deserving of it that year. The Bulls were really good. They're always outliners, outliners like uh, a Derrick Rose, a Steve Nash, a KG, you know, and an Allen Iverson. But the AI got to the finals, so let me not put Allen Iverson there. So then you get KD. Went one. He's won some championships, and Steph Curry. I felt like you know he was. He won some championships. Now Westbrook is when it gets a little dicey, but he he put up this. He was a six seed that year, right? And he averaged a triple double. It's kind of hard to argue that, right? So that's the outlier. 
He's a sixth seed. Then James Harden wins one. I don't think I could argue with that at the time in Houston. And then Giannis back-to-back. That's kind of hard to argue. And Nikola Djokovic, uh, he, although I thought he should have went to Chris Paul, because of the Steve Nash outliner, that was my opinion. I get it. The league has to promote the white players because the majority of the fan base predominantly, well, I wouldn't say majority, a good portion of the fan base, you know, needs to have something to hang on to. So I get that. And he is deserving. Um, So where do we land this year in the MVP race? Ron Artest made a very good point as I rambled through that, but I think it made sense. Uh, He said that Phoenix had the two best players. You could pick between Chris Paul and Booker. And I thought that was interesting. Phoenix, But Phoenix is being penalized in a sense because they're so good. But the criteria in other years, Julius' team was great. Moses' teams were great. They're competing for finals. Bird's team were competing for finals. Magic's teams are competing for finals. Jordan's team was competing for finals. Barkley's teams. I mean, look at all these names. Tim Duncan, Carl Malone, Dirk. So why are, why why doesn't this is a tough year? No question about it. But why are we overlooking CP3 and Booker, Devin Booker? Why are we? I don't know. I mean, the eye test tells me it's between Embiid and Djokovic. Djokovic is having a better season this year than he did last year. But I also can argue that Chris Paul is having a better season this year than last year. But I think Djokovic's season is better. I think he has a good team. I know he's missing Jamal Murray, and there's they have had some injuries. Um, and he, I mean, he does it all. I mean, he was one of the, he's the first player with, you know, two thousand points, was a thousand rebounds or something like that. Am I wrong? Is a thousand rebounds or two thousand rebounds? I think it's two thousand points, thousand rebounds, and five hundred assists. Crazy, right? That's phenomenal. That's like a, you know, that's like Westbrook's triple double, right? But Embiid, he's leading the league in scoring. He's he's had to deal with the Ben Simmons situation and Harden. Oh, my God. Love Harden, but, man, he's not the easiest guy to play with. So who wins the MVP this year? Ja? Ja was looking great. But then Ja gets penalized because his team has a winning record without him. Well, that's because he's got a good team. But they win with him. When he's on the court, he doesn't hurt them either. Are we penalizing Ja because we want him this team to lose? So he, that means he's not the most valuable to his team? Well, perhaps, right? But that's sure is a nitpick, right? I mean, you know, so it's like, I don't know. I wonder what you guys think. If I had to give it, I mean, Nikola Djokovic, the Joker, Giannis, Embiid, Booker, 
and Ja. Ja Morant. <clears throat> and maybe Chris Paul's coming in six. DeMar DeRozan was, was hanging on there as well. Those are the guys. It's a coin flip between Nicola and Bede. I'm going to go ahead and say I want the brother Bede to win this one. Um, I think he deserves this one. Nicola got it last year. Nicola is definitely deserving of his MVP. It's a coin flip. Um, um, Booker better get a look next year because he up. So that, that's my thoughts on the MVP race. I believe it should go to Embiid. He's the first center to um, win this award. Uh, and uh, Shaquille O'Neal, who's the last center to win it? They got dirt down as a forward. KG is a power forward. Tim Duncan was a center. I don't know if Tim Duncan, I guess you can put him power forward slash center, but real true center was 2000 Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, so, oh, what am I talking about? Nicola won it last year. Let me shut the hell up. So it's like, I give it to Embiid. I mean, this is with the podcast. We just walking through this, talking off the cuff. I know I got to check with my guys and see what they think, but I think it should go to Embiid. I think it's this is here. The story, the narrative, I think it goes to him based on the criteria that was met for Steve Nash. Um, you know, I think he deserves to get his flowers this year. Embiid, he deserves it. What up, though? Yeah, let's do my playoff predictions here. Um, forgive me, y'all. I've been a little rusty doing these pods, but I'm back on it. I hope, you know, but anyway, I, I didn't do any playoff predictions, excuse me, preseason predictions. I hate doing them. It was with the COVID the last year and a half. It's been really hard with everything going on and with all the, you know, the player movement, player empowerment movement and you know, just everything going on. It's, it was hard to watch a lot of basketball. Um, and I've been watching a lot of it lately. I've been able to look at a lot of teams play. Um, the league is more top-heavy than it's ever been. And every team has an, a pretty elite player. If not an elite player, a very good player. Um, and... Uh, I think the game's just different, um, you know, with the center really stretching the games out now and being more skilled. And you see Bam Adebayo uh, being able to bring the ball up consistently. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. And uh, when I was a kid, I was like always, you know, just amazing. Like when you get older, you know, you're getting your, your, your mid, late 30s, early 40s. And you start doing this 2020 hindsight, like I like to talk about, is like you realize some of the things you thought back then and seeing it happen in fruition now. I always used to look at these big guys because one of my homies, my homeboy Karan, he's like 6'3". And, they, and he was bigger than everybody when in our neighborhood. You know, Karan was a terror. He was very athletic. But... He should have been a guard, and they would play him at you no know, power forward, and 
have his back to the basket because he was bigger than everybody. But when he, but I don't think in today, if he was training today, I think he probably would have made it to the league. If not, he had a pretty good, he had a great college career as a, as an all-time sack leader for Minnesota for only for two years, but that's how great of an athlete he was. And I'm not saying that because that's my homeboy, but I'm just saying that because it's a matter of fact. But if the game had been taught to him and he could dribble and he could shoot and he had guard skills, I played against him. You know, he used to dominate me all the time and I rarely lost one-on-one to anybody. And he was just bigger than me and stronger. And, he, you know, if in today's skill set, he'll be inside. They would teach him outside in. And I never understood because I, I, I worked very hard on my game, you know, like to, I would not say as hard as Kobe Bryant, but it's along those lines where I was out there in the morning for three hours, in the afternoon for three hours, in the evening for three hours, every day, rain, sleet, hell, or snow, finding somewhere to work on my skills, every move. Now, I, I follow all these basketball pages on Instagram and YouTube and all these drills, and I said, man, I've had this. This is crazy. But I had all those moves, and I didn't even practice them. But now guys are deliberately doing it. I was just doing it off of, of instincts. And... You know, I never understood my point is why they never taught the game from the outside in. Because the post, I thought, was always something that just came over time that can be taught. Because when you're in triple threat, really, you're in in a post position, in a frontal position, pause. And, you know, when you're in your back against the basket, the ideal movement is similar it's different, but it's similar, you know, and there's going to be some different variations. But, you know, a lot of times you'll see a king, he'll get the ball with his back to the basket, and then he'll turn around and get in triple threat. That's out of the post. Patrick Ewing did that. David Robinson did that. As my refrigerator goes on, so bear with me. They would do all that out of the post, you know. Barkley, as he got older and became more skilled, he would do that. And I, so, like, I didn't understand why they didn't teach the game from outside in. Because once you teach a, a big fella only the post, he can never develop a handle because the confidence comes over years and years and years of doing it. You have to be, like, doing it at a very young age. Some people can pick it up later. Like Charles Barkley became a very good ball handler over time, but most people can't get that skill set if it's not been taught to them very young. You can learn how to shoot a free throw later. You can learn how to develop a jump shot later. You can later learn how to get a post game later. You know what I mean? Those things like that. But what you can't usually do later is learn how to instinctively think like a guard. As like, you know, like have the mindset to be a threat to pass and also a threat to uh, take someone off the dribble, drive, kick it, score for yourself or get the hockey assist. So I never understood that. So the skill level on this NBA game, 
it has gotten so good and so great. And I think that's the biggest key difference is that guys have skills to do something on the court, whether it's book, uh, not Booker, but uh, ah, what's my man name? I forget him. Uh, he used to play for Houston and uh, play for Milwaukee last year. Oh, man, it escaped me. But he hits the corner three, you know. That's, and he plays defense. That's a skill, you know. Before, it would be, be just Anthony Mason and Charles Barkley out there just grabbing a rebound and just tackling guys. But let me get to my picks. So we got the play-in game. First pick is the Pelicans versus Spurs. You know, I don't like to bet against Pop. But it's my man CJ McCullen about to tear them boys up. So I'm gonna take the Pelicans and the Shocker. We got the seven A seed, Minnesota versus the Clippers. Or some people call them the strippers. This is a tough matchup because I love the way Towns and that young boy out there is playing. They got a very good talent out there. Um, it's a seven A seed, so whoever loses this game will still have a chance to uh, um, play the winner of the nine ten matchup. I'm gonna go with Minnesota uh, to beat the Clippers. Um, in the playing game in the East, you got the Hawks versus the Hornets. That's going to be a really good game. I look forward to watching that. Um, I'm going to take the Hawks um, based on their experience from the playoffs. They almost made the playoffs last year. They were a very good team. I don't know what happened this year, but uh, I do expect to see them back next year doing great things. Um, Brooklyn versus the Cavs. Now, I know you're like, who would I pick? Brooklyn, when I watch them, I just they just make me nervous. They, I don't never, I don't know what their identity is. I don't know what it's not, offensively. This KD, your turn now. KD makes great passes out out of his offensive sets. He's a very great scorer, one of the best I've ever seen, and he can go get a bucket. But teams are. Really, and he he said something on the JJ Reddick podcast why he didn't score hasn't scored sixty, and I felt him like teams guard him they they game plan for him within the game they'll make a you know so he has to adjust his game based on the defensive schemes and he, well that happens all the time but KD is really different because he can pretty much get any shot he wants and he you know so he I, I watched the game yesterday he he saw doubles triples. You know, attention to detail is on him at all times. And if he if he finds himself not having the best shooting night, Brooklyn then has to rely on Kyrie. And if Kyrie is going to have a high-volume shooting night, he might still get you 20-plus. But, you know, and he, and he shoots it very efficiently. You can look at his stats. But some nights, it doesn't always work out. Now, I had a stat. Now, I'm going to grab my stat. Hold on. I had a stat. Brooklyn is um 
had their starting lineup. Brooklyn's had 43 starting lineups over the last 82 games. 43 starting lineups over the 82-game season. So Ben Simmons is hopeful for the first round of the playoffs. He's hopeful. Uh, I think that him at 75% is huge for them, and maybe he can get to like 90 as this series goes on, but they won't have him for the play-in game. So I am going to take Cleveland. And uh, and uh, I'll take uh, Brooklyn over the Hawks. But don't be surprised if Brooklyn doesn't make it because they don't really have an identity. They don't really play that good of a defense. But... You know, next year, the Cats better beat them now because next year they're going to have hell to play. And the Clippers versus the Spurs, I'm going to um, take the Cl- uh, Clippers um, to come out. So then the Clippers, so that means Minnesota would play um, Memphis in the first round. I'm going to pick take that series to go six games. I'm going to take Memphis. That's the two seed. You got Golden State versus Denver. I'm going to take that series to go. Whew, that's a tough series. I'm going to take Golden State in seven. And then Dallas versus Utah. Oh, boy, got hurt yesterday. Um, I'm saying his name. Oh, boy. Luca, getting old, y'all. Uh, I have too much in my memory bank. Um, Luca got hurt with a calf strain. I don't know what that means. Uh, hopefully, it was just precaution. It's just a little sore. Um, but if he's not healthy, uh, Utah will win that series. But if he is healthy, then I'll take uh, Dallas in seven. And then Phoenix would get the Clippers, and I'll take. Phoenix to win that series at six. Um, the Clippers, they're just a tough out, you know. As good as um, Phoenix is, the Clippers is a tough out. So now you have Miami versus Brooklyn. And uh, that's where things get interesting, right? Because Brooklyn sneaks in, and Miami is a very – Stephen A. Smith says Miami is good enough to win the championship and also bad enough to lose in the first round. Um, the problem, and I heard Colin Cowherd say it, and I agree with him, is and I watch a lot of analysts to, you know, iron sharpens iron. So, you know, I have my own opinion, but I like to – get the information to, to assess it against what I think. And I, Miami does not have, although they're solid at every position and Butler's phenomenal, it will come down. Can Miami force Brooklyn to play Miami basketball? 
toughness, being gritty. And can they stop, basically, can they stop Kyrie and KD? Because I don't think they I don't think defensively Brooklyn would be scared of Miami to put up a lot of points on them unless Tyler Hero just goes off, you know. But Miami, if they're not able to get stops, they can't Brooklyn's just gonna outscore them. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And Brooklyn, it's not, you know, I guess Brooklyn, their defense is bad. But I don't know if it's going to be bad enough for Miami to overcome it. So, therefore, I would take Brooklyn in the upset. And that's going to be probably the best series in the first round. All these first-round matchups are going to be great. But that's the one I'm going to watch to see if Ben Simmons comes back. And if he comes back, like, how good is Brooklyn? And are they good enough to get past that first round? And that's if they get out the play-in game. Boston versus Cleveland. I'm going to take Boston to win that series in five. Cleveland's got some injuries. I would have probably taken Cleveland to lose in six. Uh, Tatum and Brown, they're playing well. Boston problem is sometimes they get Tatum-centric. Um the key to that series is going to be the key to all Boston series is how well Smart is playing offensively. He's going to be there for you defensively, but he's getting them giving them anything from an offensive level, which he does a lot of nights. It's hard to beat Boston. It's just hard to beat Boston. So look at Smart being the key. Tatum's got to be consistent and efficient. Brown, not worried about Brown. He's going to come to play. Um, Tatum's going to come to play, but sometimes Tatum, his shot doesn't fall. You know, he's a scorer and he's getting better and better every year. I looked to, for him to be in the MVP race next year, um, but I'm going to take Boston. Uh, Milwaukee, Chicago, sweep, get the broom out, sweep. Dangerous, dangerous because Milwaukee is going to be resting. The rest is good in the early parts of the playoffs. Um, then you got uh, the Sixers versus the Raptors. The Raptors play hard. I mean, they got a really great culture over there. And when I was talking about competency, that's Toronto. Those teams that are smart. Raptors, Golden State, Clippers, Denver, uh, the Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks. You know, just drafting well. I mean, there's levels to it. Miami Heat culture, Phoenix. You know, San Antonio in his prime. But, you you know, Minnesota is getting there. Really, all the teams in the playoffs, you see good GMing, good GM, good ownership generally. But as we get closer to the finals, you see that they're great owners, great GMs, great coaching, great leaders, and great star players. And that's what I mean about the competency. And that's why you don't see the Lakers in this playoffs. Um, So the Sixers and the Raptors, well-run organization. I'm kind of connected with the Raptors. Got somebody close that I have close to me that is uh, connected to them. Um, But they're not beating Phoenix. I mean, Philly. Uh, Embiid. 
and uh, Harden will be too much. Um, I want to say Philly and six. I'm going to say Philly and six because the Raptors are going to play hard. So those are my predictions. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It's your boy, Ayo. Remember, hindsight is 2020. It's okay to be wrong. Just admit when you're wrong. It's okay to apologize. It's love is love. I appreciate y'all listening to me. Um, and, you know, you know, just hearing my thoughts. These just my thoughts. Uh, sometimes I ramble, but I ramble. I always make fucking sense. I always bring that shit together. So y'all have a great week. And I'll catch y'all on the next one. Peace. Corrections and error. This recording took place between, what is it, April 11th and April 12th? Not April 10th. Uh, Started off April 11th recording, ended up ending late last night. Uh, I didn't mean to say Charles Barkley. I meant to say Charles Oakley. Outliers, not outlining. I don't know what I was saying there. Outliers. Uh, it's late. You work a ten-hour day at your job, you know, and you know at night you're trying to keep your mind and focus together so you can put together this stuff. But just a couple of corrections. Uh, I don't think it's any more. Uh, so I met Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason, not Charles Barkley. Uh, outliers. Not. <laughs> I don't know what the heck hell I was saying. Outliers and. Uh, yeah, I think that's the ones I caught. Um, we try to do this off the cuff. Try to do be a little researched. Um, sometimes you know you get you get the rambling and lose your thought process. But you know we just try to kick it, and I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Enjoy the NBA playoffs. I'll get back with y'all. Peace. Uh, and you don't quit. Yeah. I be at odds with this rap shit. People smiling in your face, it's a cold biz. They say no to politics, no chess. I learned to be the best, mastering myself, I guess. True life, another homie got another L. Norm since we was kids, rapping out on the steps. Victory is close, but it's a lonely world. Who I'm fucking on ain't your concern. I put niggas on like David Stern, clean like as if we was on our way to church. Pocket money probably exceeds your net worth. I've been there before.